From the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Discerning Marriage Podcast, hosted by Elizabeth Busby. Hello, hello, it's Elizabeth Busby here, and welcome back to the Discerning Marriage Podcast. So I'm doing something that I have yet to do in the history of this podcast, and that is planning an episode around what's actually going on in the liturgical year. And I'm very excited about it. So this episode is dropping on Christmas Eve. I don't know how many of you are listening to it on Christmas Eve, but most of you will probably listen to it in the Christmas octave at least. And so I wanted to talk about something that has to do with this time where, where all of our hearts are oriented toward the manger. And, um, I, the, so what I wanted to talk about is St. Joseph. Um, I have been so struck. If you've been following me on Instagram, you know that I love St. Joseph and this year of St. Joseph has been so powerful to me and I am sad that it's over. And I'm taking that as an invitation to keep diving in to the chaste heart of St. Joseph and to the marriage of Mary and Joseph. And I'm bringing you along with me. So, um, I invited Christopher West to talk with me about this um, because he has so many good, beautiful things to say. And I've heard him obviously talk a lot about Mama Mary, but we haven't talked very much about Joseph and their relationship. And so I'm really excited to invite him into this conversation and to share that with you. Hi, Christopher. Hey, Elizabeth. So happy to be with you and very happy to be talking about St. Joseph and his love for Mary and how this all plays into the Christmas story. Oh, thank you so much. So I, my daughter got this um, picture book as a gift for my in-laws. I'll link it in the show notes. Um, but it was called The Spider Who Saved Christmas. I don't know how many of you, since you're all discerning marriage, I don't know how many of you read children's books. Christopher, have you read that book? I have not read that book, no. It is beautiful. So it actually talks about this piece of Mary and Joseph's flight into Egypt. This, um, they, the art is, is gorgeous, of course, but the story talks about Mary and Joseph, they're walking to Egypt, fleeing from Herod, and they duck into a cave. Um, and it's this gorgeous interaction. Oh, it's about the spider. Anyway, you can go check it out from the library if you want to read it or buy a copy, I'll link it. But, um, the beautiful thing that I loved about it is it very much felt like Electio Divina from the author, um, Raymond Arroyo, I think his name, Raymond Arroyo, I should know that yeah. he's famous. Um, but it, it basically was, there was this beautiful interaction between Joseph being like, Oh, that carrots, people are coming. I'm so sorry. We have to stop here. Like, this is so, I feel so unsafe here. And Mary's like, it's okay. Just breathe, just lay down and rest. And he's like, pray for us. And she's like, okay, I will. And just like, it was this beautiful, um, the mercy that Mary showed Joseph in this story, I feel like very much reflects what probably really happened. And like the way that Joseph's, you know, we know Joseph was the only one in the Holy family who sinned, but I often think about how that manifested, right? Because also he was in the presence of Jesus and Mary always. So it probably wasn't kind of more the typical sins that we, that we see in, in normal life now. And, and this, this like lack, these little lack of trust moments where he's like, ah! and she's like, just trust. We're okay. That is kind of, I loved getting to read the story about this little peek into a time of their life that we don't talk about very often. Obviously it's not in scripture. So we have to imagine, but that dynamic really awakened in my heart, a desire to reflect more on their interactions and their marriage and, and how, and, and Christmas is a perfect time to do that. Right. Like the most powerful moment in the history of the world, when God, when God who had taken on flesh emerged from Mary's body. Right. Um, but 
Joseph and Mary were the only ones there. And I just, the intimacy and beauty. Anyway, so that's what I'm giving you, Christopher. Go. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I want to add here, there's a tradition in the church that says that Joseph was fully sanctified. Uh, he was born with original sin like the rest of us. Okay. Uh, but that think of the think of the heights of holiness that were available to Joseph living in the presence of the word made flesh and the immaculate conception. And that's what I want to zoom in on here because okay. we have these false notions of Joseph. We can't imagine what real holiness looks like here, especially mm. in relation to Mary's virginity. And so mm. oftentimes in Catholic art, Joseph was made to look like an old man. Mm -hmm. And I want to quote here from Bishop Fulton Sheen, and then I want to share a quote from St. John Paul II addressing this idea that we have to make Joseph an old man in order to safeguard Mary's virginity. <laughs> this, is, this is not the proper understanding of Joseph. Listen to what Bishop Fulton Sheen says here. This is a direct quote. He says, when one searches for the reasons why Christian art should have pictured Joseph as aged, we discover that it was in order to better safeguard the virginity of Mary. However, to make Joseph appear pure only because his flesh was aged is like glorifying a mountain stream that has dried up. Mm. Instead of being a man incapable of love, he must have been on fire with love. He was not in the evening of his life, but in its morning, bubbling over with energy, strength, and controlled passion. Mm. That is a that yes. is a very different picture of Joseph than a lot of us have, and I love that expression, controlled passion. Yes. Uh, think of, and I often use this analogy. You've heard me do this, Elizabeth, with chastity. That chastity uh, does not mean uh, repression. It does not mean mm. a denial of sexuality. It means the living out of it in its fullness. And I, the analogy I use is like a pianist. You know, anybody can walk up to a piano keyboard and bang on it and make meaningless noise. Yes. That's unchastity. But a concert pianist can walk up to a piano keyboard and make spontaneously beautiful music that lifts our souls to the heavens. Mm -hmm. This is chastity. And when we say Joseph is Mary's most chaste spouse, we're saying he knew how to make beautiful music with his masculinity in the presence of her femininity, right? Their relationship, we, when we project our own unchastity uh, onto Joseph uh, and Mary, or we project our own false understanding of chastity, let me put it that way. When we project our own false understanding of chastity onto Joseph, we have to make him an old man as if he didn't have any libido, as if he didn't have any passion, yeah. as if he didn't have ener any energy. <laughs> we can't no, comprehend no, no, no. the self-control. Yes, we, we can't. Con what we can't comprehend is the sanctification of our sexual passions mm. so that our sexual passions are put at the service of others. Right. Listen to what St. John Paul II says here about Joseph. He says, the difficulty of accepting the sublime mystery of Joseph and Mary's spousal communion 
has led some since the second century to think of Joseph as advanced in age and to consider him Mary's guardian more than her husband. It is instead a case of supposing that he was not an elderly man at the time, but rather that his interior perfection, the fruit of grace, led him to live his spousal relationship with Mary with virginal affection. Mm. And here, virginal affection does not mean hands off, stay away from me, you're too beautiful, I can't control myself. <laughs> That's projecting our own unchastity onto Joseph. When we say Joseph was Mary's most chaste spouse, what we are saying, and here again, this is a quote from John Paul II, Joseph was experiencing the fullness of Eros, not the negation of Eros. That's not chastity. Chastity is the fullness of Eros. And here again, quoting John Paul II, he says, the fullness of Eros implies the upward impulse of the human spirit towards what is true, good, and beautiful, so that what is erotic also becomes true, good, and beautiful. So what does that all mean, and how do we apply it to Joseph and Mary? Well, I would put it this way. No one lived the Song of Songs in their marriage as beautifully and gloriously as Joseph and Mary. And the Song of Songs, for those listeners who may not be all that familiar with it, what is the Song of Songs? It's the great and holy erotic love poetry that is smack dab in the middle of your Bible. The saints have written more commentaries on the Song of Songs than any other book in the Bible. And so I ask, what did the saints know about the Song of Songs that we need to get in on? Well, no two saints lived and experienced the Song of Songs as potently, as powerfully, as intimately as Joseph and Mary. How so, and why so, and what might it look like? Well, in order to, to enter into that, we have to understand what the, song, what the Song of Songs is ultimately about, right? The Song of Songs, first and foremost, is the erotic love poetry of a husband and a wife. But it is also, if we enter into it at the deeper level, that the experience of married love is a window into the experience of intimacy with God that we are all mm -hmm. destined to have. Elizabeth, you've heard me say this many times. The Bible begins with the marriage of man and woman, mm -hmm. but it ends with the marriage of Christ and the church. And the marriage at the beginning of the Bible is the foreshadowing, the, the sacramental foretaste of the marriage that ends the Bible, the destiny of every human being, the reason we exist, the reason we have these longings for love and union and happiness and joy and fulfillment is because we are made for this eternal marriage, the marriage of the lamb. That's how the Bible describes it. Christ is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The marriage of the lamb, which ends the Bible, is the ultimate destiny of the Christian life is this eternal intimacy with God that we are destined to have. Now, let's look at the beginning of the New Testament. The Old Testament begins with the marriage. So does the New Testament. But the New Testament begins with the marriage 
of Mary, not to Joseph, but to love eternal. Mm. The angel of the Lord comes and appears to Mary, and the angel proposes to Mary this eternal plan of God, that God wants to marry you. And Mary says yes to this eternal marriage proposal. She enters, this, this is the astounding mystery of Christmas right here. Mary consummated the eternal marriage within time. What does that mean? It means Mary was already living the ultimate reality within history. Now, you'll remember from the whole TOB vision of things, the theology of the body vision of things, Elizabeth, why Jesus says in the resurrection we're no longer given in marriage. And what he's basically saying, here's my shorthand, that we no longer need a sign to point us to Disneyland when we're in <laughs> Disneyland, right? The destiny is the marriage of the lamb. The destiny is the marriage of Christ and the church. The union of man and woman, as Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, is just a foreshadowing. The one flesh union, Paul says, is a great mystery, and it refers to Christ and the church. Once the union of Christ and the church is forever consummated, once the eternal marriage is consummated, the sacrament gives way to the ultimate reality. And this is why I had to say all that to get to this point about St. Joseph. This is why Joseph and Mary never had sexual relations, not because sex is bad, not because sex is dirty. No, they never had sexual relations because Mary has already consummated the ultimate marriage. Instead of having sexual relations with Joseph, which would have been a step backwards, right? If you look at the two bookends of the Bible, the union of man and woman starts the Bible, but the union of God and humanity ends the Bible. Mary is already, she has already moved forward to that union. To have had sexual relations with Joseph would have been stepping backwards. Instead, Mary reaches out her hand to Joseph and says, Joseph, come along with me, baby. I'm taking you into the eternal consummation. That's where the Song of Songs leads us. The Song of Songs, this beautiful erotic dance between a husband and a wife, leads us ultimately into the marriage of God and humanity. That's the marriage that Joseph and Mary lived perfectly. Now, now here, here it just begins to boggle your brain. But let's press in even more. And Elizabeth, feel free to interrupt me whenever you want, because you know I have the gift of gab, and I'll just keep going if you don't stop me. You can do this so, next bit, and then I'll ask one more question, and then we'll end. Okay, okay. So what we have in the celibate marriage of Joseph and Mary, it seems like a contradiction in terms. Celibate marriage, but it's a paradox. It's like virgin mother. That is a paradox. It's like if you want to be rich, you got to sell everything. If you want to live, you got to die. These are the paradoxes of our faith. The virgin mother, the God man, the celibate marriage of Joseph and Mary. Let's press into that. What is celibacy for the kingdom? 
Celibacy for the kingdom is the choice for the heavenly marriage now, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think we should define the celibate vocation not based on what it gives up. That would be celibacy tells us tells us what they're not doing, right? But what have the celibates embraced? They've embraced the eternal marriage. Joseph and Mary, however, are living at one and the same time the earthly marriage that starts the Bible and the heavenly marriage that ends the Bible. So we could say this, the celibate marriage of Joseph and Mary is the marriage of earthly marriage and heavenly marriage. That's what their marriage is. Mm. Their marriage is the marriage of heaven and earth. And what was the fruit of their marriage? The fruit of their marriage was the marriage of heaven and earth in the womb of Mary. Mm. (laughs) The womb of Mary is the place where the marriage of heaven and earth is consummated in the very person of Jesus Christ, who is in his person, the marriage of God and humanity, of the divinity and the humanity. The divinity and the humanity are married in the person of Jesus. And here, and this, this I'm, venturing, I'm venturing a theological proposal here that is not something I've ever heard like confirmed by the church officially, but I do believe this is a solid theological proposal. And I do believe maybe one day it will be officially stated by the church that Joseph here is not, his virginity in their marriage is not just a tack on. Joseph's virginity plays some role in the mystery of the incarnation. Mm. So, Joseph, Joseph, we have this idea like, oh, my gosh, we have this woman pregnant. That doesn't look good. Um, Joseph. Tack her mind. So that, yeah. 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 Like as, as if Joseph is just there to make it look better. Um, right. Joseph, could you stand in here to make this yep. look legit? Yep. No, 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 no. So Joseph it's not a scandal. Not a, yeah. yeah he, he's not a tack on to prevent some kind of scandal. Joseph plays an integral role here. And I'm going to quote also from John Paul II here. Um, John Paul II says, this is in his Theology of the Body, Uh, he says, Christ is born from Mary like every man. Still, Mary's motherhood was virginal, and to this virginal motherhood corresponded the virginal mystery of Joseph. That's T.O.B. 75.2, and then in his document on St. Joseph, Redemptoris Custos, he says this, In this family, Joseph is the father. His fatherhood is not one that derives from begetting offspring, but neither is it an apparent or merely substitute fatherhood. You know how we often refer to Joseph as the foster father of Jesus? Mm -hmm. I don't think that's, I mean, we, we do that because we want to emphasize he's not the biological father. Okay, he's not the biological father. But Mary herself referred to Joseph as Jesus's father, not foster father. Mary says, your father and I have been looking for you Mm -hmm. when Jesus was lost, right? Yes. And so John Paul II says, 
Joseph's fatherhood is one that fully shares in authentic human fatherhood. It's not merely a substitute fatherhood. Joseph is the real father in this family. So Joseph and Mary, this is just summing up, Joseph and Mary, in and through the purity of their love, shared in the intensity of the mystery of the Song of Songs like no other couple in history, precisely because their earthly marriage was at one and the same time a, a direct participation in the heavenly marriage. And the fruit of their marriage is the marriage of heaven and earth. Uh, that's enough to, if you really enter into it, it'll, your brains will be splattered all over the walls all around you, but, you know, but there it is. That's what, I question. Can say in, in, yes. that's what I can say in 20 minutes. Yes. Yep. I don't even need to ask my question. Cause you, you gave us enough to ponder and process through this octave of Christmas as we, you know, so often, obviously we, Jesus made flesh and we think of Mary delivering him, but I think we don't often think of the whole family, you know, and Joseph there too, and his presence there and what that means and why he was there. So you have given us. And John Paul II says this, this is very important in Redemptoris Custos, John Paul II says, Joseph was an eyewitness to the birth of the Lord. I've heard some people say that because of Joseph's chastity, he was outside when Joseph was, when, when Jesus was born. What, really? What? People what? No, think no, no, no. he was like outside the yeah, yeah, stable yeah. and Mary like delivered he, him herself? Because they can't imagine Joseph remaining chaste, seeing oh. naked, seeing Mary's nakedness delivering wow. Jesus. Wow. Right. But that is, wow. that is projecting our own false understanding of chastity onto Joseph. Chastity, purity of heart, John Paul yes. II says. Yes. Is the ability to see the glory of God revealed through the human body. And this is precisely what Joseph saw mm. when Mary gave birth to the second person of the Trinity. Joseph saw with his own eyes the glory of God revealed through the full glory of Mary's feminine body giving birth to the second person of the Trinity. It's a bedrock principle of biblical faith. God's glory comes to us through woman's body. That's how it happens. That's the full glory of woman. And that's what Joseph beheld. And that's what Joseph saw with his own eyes, the glory of God revealed through Mary's body. Glory be to God. Joseph, teach us how to see the glory of God revealed through woman's body as you saw it. Mm. Because every woman shares in that dignity. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much, Christopher. You're welcome, Elizabeth. I hope hope that gives your listeners something to think on, ponder, and pray through. I hope so, too. And if y'all liked it, please subscribe to this podcast. Please share it. And you can find us also on YouTube. So both of us individually and a couple of episodes together have some... um, videos on YouTube that we would love to share with you. So I will link that in the show notes also. And I hope all of you have a very Merry Christmas. And until next time, stay close to the heart of Jesus and be not afraid. The Discerning Marriage Podcast is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute. For more information about discerning marriage, visit discerningmarriage.com.
To learn more about the theology of the body, visit tobinstitute.org.